Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. everyone's focus is on saving money instead of just making more money. And that's kind of what we always came back to is like, why would I try and save and, and do less when you could just keep investing in yourself and making more, focus on making more and a better life? That will always be different. Something that seems true to me may or may not seem true to you or somebody else. Shelby Friesen is someone who has always had a weird pull to find the truth in things. He questioned almost everything for his entire life, and he isn't sure why or where it all started. It wasn't until his 21st birthday in a three-day drinking binge that put him into a mental health downward spiral that he could have never even imagined. After being in a state where it felt like death, Shelby decided to give it one more shot. Shelby built businesses, did half Ironmans, and pushed himself mentally and physically in any way he could. He tried a ton of healing methods and even tried new ways of life. As time progressed, he returned stronger, mentally and physically, and kept challenging himself. He is now working on their new project, Ajin Sanctuary, where they are building a 160-acre off-grid haven, learning to do what it takes to try and be sustainable and share everything along the way. Hello, Shelby Friesen. Welcome to People of Purpose podcast. We got uh, my good friend and our co-founder of uh, my real estate business, Philip Loudon, here with us. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. Cool. Well, I wanted to kind of give you guys some space to like uh, tell the audience kind of how you guys met and how you know each other and maybe why Phil recruited Shelby for the podcast. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So I guess I can, I can speak. Um, Shelby and I met at uh, a mastermind event called Baby Bathwater in Croatia. It was, I'm not sure how many people attend, like over a hundred. Yeah. I think about 200 the second year's. Yeah, just like really incredible, um, high-achieving, purpose-driven individuals. It was uh, the first event I ever went to like that. And it was a place where I met like tons of like lifelong friends in one location. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, man, it was awesome. It was a great place to meet. I was still in touch with pretty much everybody from it that, that we were uh, talked to there. Yeah. And then, and then after that, Shelby and I kept in contact. Uh, Shelby at one point did um, a, a, a journaling challenge where he basically said that um, he's going to journal every day for 30 days and do an email list um, from that. And uh, if he missed any day, um, he would pay people like, uh, I think it's like oh, yeah. a person. And, um, and I saw that I felt really inspired. So I, I also followed this journaling challenge and I st- created an email list. And I got like, I think like 50 or 60 people on there. And I said, if I missed any day, uh, I would pay each of them a certain amount of money and it helped me to this uh, accountability structure where I wrote every single day. And, and through that experience, uh, Shelby kind of coached me through it. And and when I questions, he was happy to answer. And I learned a bunch about copywriting, about writing captivating content, about getting my thoughts into concise, um, short tidbits to, to share on emails in, in a way that was interesting for the people reading it. And I absolutely love that exercise that uh, helped me to kind of encapsulate a bunch of lessons from my previous five years of travel to these individual segments. Uh, that was super cool also. <laughs> yeah, man, that was sweet. I totally forgot I did that. <laughs> so many little things. 
Yeah, I I love to hear that like the relationships stay alive after some like transformational event. Um, being able to stay in contact with people and having that kind of impact like you did on Phil. Uh it's just <laughs> and such an example. We never know like how the ripples of like what we, you know, set out to do, how they'll impact and affect others. Phil definitely saw you as a as a yeah, a mentor, a guiding star in some way with that. So yeah, really- Shelby started that and I, I loved it. So I was like, I'm going to do this. And I, and I talked to Shelby, he got on a call with me. And then for me doing it, other people did it as well. So, you know, it creates, oh, ripples, awesome, it creates these like, ripples of inspiration. And I'm, I'm going to keep this emails forever because I really was able to just get a lot of thoughts and ideas and, and memories from, from my travels and from life in general. Because when you're writing every day, you have to figure out you know, what's most present for me right now, what's coming up in a natural way. And then how can mm-hmm. I turn that to face an audience in a way that's going to be like not super boring for them to read? Yeah, hundred percent. And I, and I actually got that from Ian Stanley, who was from um, baby bathwater as well. So he had talked about how he did it like years ago. And I was like, Oh, it's such a good idea. Like I'm going to try it. So it made nice. its way through a lot of people. Yes. Did it create any clarity for you, Shelby? For me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I started doing that just at the beginning of COVID. Um, I started taking a bunch of Ian's courses. He's got a lot of copywriting and stuff like that. So I was like, man, I don't know. I'll just try this shit, figure it out, learn some stuff. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Like um, helped me, same thing Phil's saying, just get clear and uh, share in a way that just like it's easy for people to read. It doesn't have to be the whole concept of writing that way is you don't have to talk like a doctor or use crazy words or all that. It's just really simplifying stuff to like a grade two level or three level where it's simple to read and just engaging for the audience. So yeah, it was awesome. It was really cool. And people really liked it. I was surprised. I'm like, you know, who really wants to hear about my shit that I'm doing every day? And clearly it was useful for, for a lot of people. So I think it's also cool to just know how important it is to share the real, I think that's the other part of it is like what you are sharing. You know, I was sharing just the real stuff about what I was doing each day or trying or what was going good or bad or whatever it was. Um, whereas people nowadays are used to the type of sharing that's on current social uh, platforms, which is like, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's far from real. For sure. For sure. So you were sharing like the good and like the the not so great stuff and some of your little mental blocks and hangups and just kind of everything, right? Yeah, it was really mainly about kind of, you know, be my thoughts, stuff I'm thinking about. Uh, I think that's just kind of why it was interesting to people. I mean, a lot of myself was, it was pushing boundaries, like what I was doing to push myself mentally and physically, whether it was running or biking or cold showers or, you know, how I would structure my day for, to be higher performing or get, um, you know, the habits I was building, what I was mm-hmm. eating. Um, it was really that. So like what I was doing to make myself feel better, yeah, it was really based around that. It wasn't so, I mean, there was some businessy stuff, but it wasn't really, it was really based about like personal, personal habits uh, versus like, you know, active, like business content per se. For sure. Mm-hmm. One thing I see in your story that you, you know, that you shared is that you've always been searching for truth. You want to know more about why, why things are the way they are. And you really want to question that. I want to know kind of, yeah, how, how you came up with your purpose statement, which was searching for truth with a renegade mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when I think back on my life, an overarching thing is just that I've always questioned things and have tried to find the truth or the why 
behind it. When somebody tells me something, I don't just believe it. I question it and kind of look around and go, okay, like, does this make sense? And not like, I don't know, now that I'm thinking about it, even like the true or false thing, like, is anything really true or false? Like maybe, it, you know, it just has to feel true to, to you. Like, does that feel right to, to you as a person? And that will always be different. Something that seems true to me may or may not seem true to you or somebody else. So really just finding like what felt right for me when I was young, I really started to notice that like certain things I'm like, man, this just like, I don't feel like this is right or like right for me. It just because somebody else is doing it. And the renegade mind aspect, honestly, that's from David Icke's book. His book's called Renegade Mind. And it's really about, I mean, it's conspiracy shit, which I love. But the concept of it is just like, you know, I feel like when I, when I was young as well, I had a lot of freedom where most, I grew up with my brother and I, my dad, our mom, our parents split up when we were pretty young. So I grew up in a house with just three dudes, basically me, my brother, and my dad. And I remember back in the day, like so many kids would have to like ask their parents, like, Hey, can, can I come over? Like, you know, can I go to this person's house tonight? Am I allowed to have a sleepover? Like, it's all these things where like, my dad didn't give a shit. He just was like, do whatever you want. I'll give you a cell phone. And that way I can just call you when I need to. And like, we would go to friends houses and we'd be there for like three days. And the parents would be like, Hey, like, are you sure your dad knows you're here? Like, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think he gives a shit. He hasn't called or anything like it should be fine. And we had like all these freedoms where we were kind of allowed to do whatever and just really think for ourselves. Like our, our my dad wasn't trying to tell me what I could and couldn't do all the time. So we it really like made us think for ourselves and like feel it out. And I started to look at other families and just be like, man, like, why would the like, why are they being so weird and like doing stuff like whatever it was? And uh I just feel like it gave me the freedom to think for myself and think outside the box and not just follow along what everyone else was doing. And I think that's where the renegade aspect fits in. It's like, you're really just breaking away from what everyone else is doing and kind of like, you know, like to me, when I was young, even I was like looking from the outside in, like, it was like, I was looking at all these other people doing all the same stuff and thinking like, okay, I mean, like, I I get it, you can do that. But there's also so much other stuff that you can do. And that's just kind of built up through the years and the years going on. Yeah, for sure. Yes, that's cool. Something I'm really impressed with um, by Shelby is uh, I do notice that your your creations are very, very unique in nature. And it seems that you're not following any sort of path that's laid out in front of you. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. we can get into this later, but I suppose something I noticed also with um, uh, your current project, Ashen Sanctuary, I see that you created this this thing that not many people have done before. And then you also create a course kind of around it to help people to learn about what you did. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I see I see the remnants of that renegade mind within what you're creating for Shay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious about, um, so if you grew up like that and you had that freedom, was life like really fulfilling as like an, a, you know, a, a child and a teen or did you feel like something was missing? Oh, man. That's a tough question. I think, uh, oh, there's just so many aspects. When I was young, you know, certain things were fulfilling. So my, like, we weren't rich. We weren't poor. I'd say we were like, my dad did did well for himself. He was um, an electrician and had his own business. And at one point had a bunch of employees and stuff. So, I mean, you know, we had dirt bikes. He bought a, a house on the, a lake about three hours from our our hometown. And we had a boat and 
what else? I mean, we kind of got, we, we played hockey. We, we did all the shit, you know, and had more than most kids, but I started to build like those things kind of fulfilled me. Like, you know, I like, I was good at dirt biking. I was, I loved stuff with the engines and like those things made me feel good. But then I started, but there was other things that left me kind of unfulfilled, like in, maybe in the family aspect, like with the father son relationship in that respect, it was really based around like always kind of looking for his approval in the way too. Although he did give us a lot of freedom, there was a lot of like, um, a big thing in our family is like not being good enough. It's just this common seems common between like my uncles and, and other cousins and stuff. It's always like, you know, you wouldn't do it like that. Would you, you wouldn't, why are you doing it like this? Why are you doing that? It's like a lot of, and I think that's maybe a reason that I asked those questions so many times is like, I was always being harped on for that stuff too. Although I could like go and do things freely. I want, I would be kind of questioned um about stuff as well so it was a weird mix between like freedom but also trying to trying to get that uh what would you call it just maybe not acceptance but just kind of like you want to you want to just have that um oh i don't know the word for it but basically validation yeah validation kind of thing like from my dad i guess but yeah. And, and I did follow, like when I was young too, I followed along quite a bit with, um, followed along quite a bit with what, so like job wise was always a really big thing in our family. That was like, you need to get a trade. You need to do this. You need to do that. But outside of the job, nobody really cared. It's like before when I was talking about freedom with friends and doing all that, it was whatever, do what you want. But when it came down to jobs in high school, when I was getting ready to graduate, that's when it was like, you need to do this. You need to do that. These are all the things. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Well, like, I guess this is where I assumed like older people know it's like, okay. Yeah. Well, my dad's 50 or 45 or whatever at that time. I'm like, well, obviously he knows what the best thing to do is. And looking back on that now, I just think, Holy shit. Who, like that is a terrible thing to think, <laughs> but you kind of assume that when you're young. Right. And I was like, okay. So I actually did like everything they wanted to do. So job wise, like when I was young, I mean, I don't know. How do you, how do you really know if you're fulfilled back then anyways? Like I was just kind of having fun, not really thinking about much. I didn't really think about fulfillment. I thought about just like getting a job and riding my dirt bike pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. but then, yeah, I kind of did everything they wanted me to do was like, go to school, get a trade, become a welder, do all this stuff. And I did it. And then just realized like, man, I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm going to come to a job for like 20 bucks an hour and then come home and just like eat and go to bed. And like, never be able to afford anything. What I hated was the ability to say, this is what my paycheck is. And then I could calculate that for the rest of my life. I was like, that is a terrible feeling. And not for everybody, maybe, but for me, I was just like, it just seemed really limiting. I was like, is everybody just okay with this? That like, you pretty much have a job that you might make $2 an hour more. And you can just like punch that into a calculator and basically plan your entire life of what you can't do basically. (laughs) I was like, man, that's, uh, so that's when it really started for me. And I was like, Hey, I got to like break out of this and find something, um, that gives me real freedom, uh, outside of, you know, it's not just the eight hour work day. I mean, it's, it's everything that that limits YouTube as well with like your ability to scale your life up in any respect. Yeah. I gotcha. So you were, you were basically trying to find, I guess, financial freedom without even labeling it like that from a pretty Mm -hmm. young age. Um, what did you go about uh, doing at that time of your life to try to figure that out? I mean, 
really just started with uh really just started with um i i hated being at jobs where they were like hey man like you uh you have to take lunch at 12 and it was just basically <laughs> like that when i was like man yeah whatever i'm only making 25 bucks an hour and you're gonna tell me i can't go have lunch when i want to have lunch like it was just basic stuff where i started to realize like hey like if all i could do is go for lunch i'd be so happy if i could do that and not have to listen to anybody tell me or hear a buzzer again um i remember my brother and i we started one of our first companies together it was a landscaping business and this was way back like right after high school and we would drive around and just get like one job go do it and then i mean we really focus less on we focus quite short term like okay whatever let's just get a job do it and then we'll figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. We didn't worry too much about the next day or the next week. Mm-hmm. And we did one job. And we went to this local cafe. We literally had our last $20 bill and we just sat down, spent all of it on a couple of coffees and desserts and just laughed about it and was, you know, okay, well, I guess we'll figure it out tomorrow. Um, yeah. So we also had a different relationship with money where we weren't worried about m- not being able to make it which I see as a huge thing in people, they have their jobs. I don't they're scared to leave their job, but they're scared that they don't know how to make any more money. So for us, we weren't worried about it. We go, well, worst case, all we have to do is get another one of these jobs and make some more money tomorrow. So we started by just starting really random businesses. And basically my whole thing was my worst case scenario, I just get a job. Best case scenario, I start random businesses and one will eventually work. Um, and since the day that we decided that, neither of us have had a job. So that was probably, I mean, I think it's been like nine, nine years. My last job was, was early, probably when I was 20. Yeah, I'm 29 now. So I would say it's been about nine years and it's, it's pretty crazy to look back on and think about because in the time you don't think it'll ever work. And then we just kept scaling up and doing different businesses, trying new things. And, uh, I basically went through. The landscaping company never really took off. It was just a random thing we did for a couple of weeks in the summer and then realized we don't like working in the rain. So we stopped doing that. And then we, uh, I did a, a drone company that uh, we bought. That's when drones first came out. We started an aerial film company. That was I did with a friend, did it for a year and a half, never really took off, but was decent enough. Started yeah. an automotive business, went through that, and then um, eventually got to where we are now with our, with our off-grid property. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. One, one thing to like point that really sticks out to me is um, how you said like seeing the seeing the paychecks, being able to measure your life based off the paychecks, seeing everything so just like easy in front of you. That's exactly how I felt, and that's exactly what started me on my own journey, like towards um towards entrepreneurship. And I never heard anyone actually state in that way. But that's like the exact thing that was going on within me, just seeing like this is way too like obvious and like planned and like i can see exactly where this will lead so i think it's cool that you experienced that also um yeah and another thing is like uh you, you mentioned to me before about you and your brother's relationship with money and like you guys seem to have this um this lack of fear around money like where you said you spend your last 20 bucks on on a cafe and just figure out what's next and i think that's really mm-hmm. admirable as well like uh it's a i think that's a really interesting mindset you guys have around money thanks man yeah i think uh i heard um do you guys follow Alex from Oh yeah. 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 Cool. So I've been like into his stuff a lot lately and he posted something basically saying that most people's 
you know, another thing for me around the money was the saving. Everyone was like, well, you got to, you got to save more. And I'm like, dude, I'm barely making any money. Like how am I supposed <laughs> to save this shit? Like, what do you want me to do? Sit in my room all day and do nothing and just put pennies in the bank. Like, so his big thing was saying that, you know, everyone's focus is on saving money instead of just making more money. And that's kind of what we always came back to is like, why would I try and save and do less when you could just keep investing in yourself and making more focus on making more and a better life versus, um, versus trying to save. Yeah, exactly. I love that you're into Alex Hermosi. Yeah. He's been shaping a lot of our, our business here the last, you know, I would say nine, 12 months since he started his YouTube channel. Phil found him really early on. Yeah, man, that shit's awesome. I've been following him for a while and his, and his wife there and like their content is so good. I was like, man, like it's been super helpful. We're getting into the sales and stuff now too. So I'm using a lot of their stuff. Yeah. I'm really curious um, what happened along the way when you were 21. Uh, right. Can you share kind of how, how things went from like, hey, we're finding some freedom. I'm at a cafe celebrating with my brother to like, you can't do anything for a year straight. What happened? Yeah, man. So I guess another thing that kind of this ties into the, the young age freedom uh, thing where I kind of had the, you know, the, the walkabout to do what I wanted. Food wise in our house of three dudes growing up, it was a little bit like, you know, a lot of canned stuff. It's not that we eat bad food, but my dad would just do loads to Costco. And for the most part, we would just eat what's easy. Like, you know, um, so and I started, I don't know when this became an addiction, but man, I loved uh, sugar. Like when I was young, I would spend every last penny. My dad had these change bins. I would come home from school. He didn't, he was never home because he also had his own business. So we would be home after school uh, by ourselves. And we knew we had these ice cream buckets full of change. So we'd rip into the, into his room, dig it out from under the drawer, go down to the corner store, buy $10 worth of candy, then go, we had a berry farm close to us. They made milkshakes, pies, all this shit. So we would like go there every day after school and probably spend $15. And that's quite a bit for one kid to consume in sugar. And we would do that on a daily basis. And then at school as well, I would just buy like milk to go Mars bars, Skittles, like all this shit. And I didn't think much of it because the way my family portrayed it was that if you were skinny, you were healthy. And for me, I've never changed my body weight as like when I was young, I could eat McDonald's, Tim Hortons, cheesecake. Like I ate cheesecake for lunch, pie for breakfast, milkshake for dinner. Like that's all I had. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and from that until like I did a half Ironman two years ago, I was running like 10 K a day, biking 30, like doing lots of exercise, same size, like never has my body really fluctuated more than like 10 pounds in my twenties. Um, mm-hmm didn't matter what I was doing for working out or, or what I eat. So I had this like thought of, you know, I'm healthy. It doesn't matter. I'm a skinny guy. And it was just kind of a running joke. Like my buddies would be like, dude, you're going to get diabetes and like all this shit. And I'm like, no, I'm good. If I get fat, I'll go get checked out. And, uh, I didn't really realize what was happening. Um, and that's when I was young. And then when you mix in the drinking and the partying, that's just a whole cycle it creates, right? Like it's that whole addiction cycle that everything that they is pretty much promoted as stuff people eat, in my opinion, gives you that. You go and have burger and fries, same feeling that you get after you have a drink or after you have something full of sugar. Like it all feeds itself. So when I was 21, pretty sure it was my 21st or 22nd birthday. And I knew I wasn't feeling good. I just never really 
thought too much of it. Like at those points I would drink Friday and Saturday and I would be like fucked up till like Thursday, like four days. It it would take me a full day to like get unhung over almost two days to get like, I would lay in bed all day Sunday, get up Sunday night, have like go for faux or something and then go to bed and be like decently okay by Monday night. So I'd have like a full on two day hangover and then I'd start feeling half decent by Thursday. Then Friday I'd get pissed again. And then I was in this cycle for quite a while as well as just eating terrible shit all day. And yeah. I didn't really think a lot of it. And then all of a sudden I went out, drank three nights in a row. It was my birthday week. And I remember the third night, like I could barely even get drunk. Like I was drinking. I'm like, man, I can't even feel what this is doing after like 12 finally kind of started to feel a bit drunk but i didn't feel i didn't even like that night i went home and i was like oh what a waste like i shouldn't even spent that money or drank really and then i woke up in the morning and it was just this feeling that i've never even had before like the only way i can explain explain it is that like it just felt like my brain was like gone or like mush like i woke up i couldn't feel anything there's no emotion I, i tried to like Normally my thing would be, I'll just watch a funny movie or something on my hangover days and like try and feel a bit better. And like, mm-hmm. I just sat there like a straight up zombie. I was like, dude, I can't even laugh. This shit's not funny. I can't cry. I can't do anything. And I was supposed to see my family birthday dinner that night. I just texted him and I was like, dude, I can't fucking move. Like there's no way. And then I was having like crazy panic attacks. Like I would start realizing I was getting anxiety when I would drink like in hangovers. I thought it was just a bad hangover. And then someone like was like, no, dude, I think you're having like anxiety. I remember having my first panic attack in this restaurant we'd always go to. I was like, okay, like this is fucked. So when I woke up from that, I was basically in like a constant panic attack, like all day. Like there was not, I would try and walk to the corner store and I would just be shaking like uncontrollably. I was like, man, I don't even know what to do. Um, So I basically laid in bed for like a week straight and was like, I don't even know where to begin with this or what to do. And it ended up like I started going to the doctor and he's like, dude, you're fine. You can just try and get a bit of exercise and take some Ativan. And I was like, no, man, like something's fucked. Like I can feel this. Like there's no way I'm just going to take a pill and be okay. And uh, it got just worse. So like I laid there for basically three months. My brother would like drag my ass into the car and drive me down to the doctor. And he'd be like, oh yeah, man, I, I, I don't know, dude. I think like I did every test. Like I had heart monitors. They thought I had diabetes. I did like everything. Like I was doing so many tests every week and every single test was coming back negative. Like, no man, you're good. You're good. There's nothing wrong. You're good. I was like, no way. Like, this is impossible. I got this point. I was hoping that I was having that. Like I would have been happy if I knew I was having a heart attack because at least it would be something like when they told me that it was testing me for diabetes, I was literally happy because I was like, I hope I have this shit. So at least I can do something to get better Um, Uh because being in the, in being like having no answer is like, what are you working towards? You're just sitting there like I'm fucking dying and I have no clue. So that was another thing that really clicked for me that I thought all these people would just fix me. I was like, Oh dude, doctors know this shit. Like kind of like I mentioned earlier, I was like, Oh, my dad knows what's best for work. I just assume all these people know shit. They don't know fucking anything. It's just a guessing game. And they're like, you know, there's nothing there. So it took about, I had to take an entire year off at this point. I was running my automotive business with a partner. I couldn't work for a year. Like after three months, it was New Year's Eve. And I said, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll give this one last shot and I'll try going to a natural path or any alternative thing outside of the medical system. I don't care how much I have to pay. So 
I had a fifteen thousand dollars student credit line. I spent all of it at the natural path and other like alternative healing places. And then my grandpa had snuck his credit card onto a few places because he knew how much I was spending. So in total, I think we spent about fifty thousand dollars in a year and a half on like like naturopath energy readings, energy healings, Reiki stuff, nutritionists, like literally everything. I was like, at this point, I don't care. I'll just try a bunch of stuff. And I remember going to my first naturopath appointment being like, this is the first time he basically said that, well, you know, what you eat kind of like affects your gut and your brain. And I was like, no, man, I've literally never heard that in my entire life. Like how, and then after going through this shit, I'm like, how have I never heard this? Like, how has nobody ever fucking mentioned that that is important? And to me, it just blew my mind that after 22 years of being on this planet, no one told me that eating food would affect how I feel. Like I just literally never connected that food and the way you feel is a thing until I was 22 years old. And that just like blew my mind open where I was like, something's seriously wrong. And that's when I really started diving into like the systems. And I did a bunch of trainings through like people who do cancer reversing through like natural eating and all stuff like that. I just like started blasting through all these programs. I was like, man, I got to learn about this stuff. And that's when I started the podcast too, because I, I really wanted to talk about it. And I just thought it was so important. I was like, this seems like the most important thing in the world because look how many people are sick and are and they just don't know to me it was like how many people are just blowing through life on all these lies that they they no one's telling them to me well what is the truth like that stuff does affect you but that's not anywhere why isn't that in schools like it to me it's such a basic thing that's being hidden from people so blatantly it just like like for a long time, I was just really mad too. Like I couldn't even believe it. Like I would go out to restaurants and just be pissed. I was like, I'll burn down every one of these restaurants because they're literally just killing people. And even the restaurant owners, they don't even know. It's like, yeah, you're selling people burger and fries. Well, like, cool. Let's just give everybody cancer. Like I would get so extreme about it and be upset. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I've toned down a bit and just want to figure out my own ways to help. Right. But um, yeah. And it, I mean, long story short, it took me about two years to, to really like get back to, to myself. It was the longest shit I've ever done. And I've always said, like, if I had to do it again, I probably would just die. Like, I think it would be easier. <laughs> I was like, I'll give this one shot. But if I ever end up like that again, I don't think I could do it twice. Like it was so slow and so hard. And those two years, it felt like an entire lifetime. Like, I swear I lived the whole life uh, just to get through that. It was, it was pretty crazy. Wow. So, yeah. it, so since then, it sounds like what you've gotten really focused on is like being a whole food nutritionist and then putting together like this, uh, Asian sanctuary. Uh, are those kind of like directly correlated to this experience or was there a bit of time in between? Um, there was definitely time in between. Like I came back from it. I was feeling pretty good. I kept running my automotive business for two years, did a bunch of cool shit with it, but then just ultimately realized like, I don't care about this stuff that's in the podcast came in, had a tough time figuring out how to make any money with it. I mm -hmm. was just like, I tried selling some little courses, food based stuff and putting things together. But I just realized ultimately it's hard to sell that. Like people don't really want to, I saw the whole market. Is it being too, like too sale, not even like salesy, but how many people are trying to sell diets and sell this and sell that? Like, I just didn't see a really like good path there. I was like, I don't really vibe with this style. And I don't really also want to, be competing or trying to compete in this space it just seems so blown over um so 
Yeah, the food though is a big part of this. Basically, I'd sold I'd sold off that automotive business and my brother his business had he had exited that as well and I do want to mention that we didn't have a ton of money from this. Um we did start this project that we're on now basically with no money. Um and that's kind of what we're helping people with as well, but anyways, um it just seemed like this project kind of fit everything. I mean, for me the food is a huge thing. Um and I wanted to go beyond just like getting food in grocery stores. I wanted to see like what does it take to grow food and how does that food compare to food you are buying in the grocery store? Cuz you mm-hmm. see a lot of research or things people say, "Oh, you know, food nowadays is 40% of the nutrients it used to." Well, how do I know that? Like I haven't seen an actual study and stuff. So I wanted to actually start like digging into that stuff. Like let's grow some food and see what happens. Like how do we feel if we actually grow our own food versus you know, just buying organic food that might not even be organic. Um, so really like getting to dig deeper into some of the things like that. Um, also just felt like we had a really good skill set to build something unique. Like growing up, I had worked for my uncle's data high and home company in Whistler. So we would work on like five to $30 million homes. I've got a huge construction background, all of that kind of stuff, mechanics, welding, um, business, online stuff, email marketing, like, and then my brother's more heavy into the business and uh, ad based stuff and funnels and kind of all of that thing. So, and we've both have construction experience as well. He was more in the wood framing and like house, like more um, framing style stuff and electrical as well. So we kind of had like everything each other was missing to build this mm. place. Um, and we both had free time. So we were like, well, we got nothing else going on. Let's just see if we can go out to this 160 acres and make something out of nothing. Cause there was nothing there. It was basically a barren piece of land. And uh, yeah, that's really kind of what started it. And for both of us, it was like, we knew we didn't want to live the way we were like, you know, even knowing we had those freedoms and, you know, my company before was doing really good, but it still just wasn't it. I was like, I'm not really creating anything useful for people. And I wanted to really create something that could showcase what we believed a healthy life was. And the whole concept from the beginning was like, it's not really tricking people, but like, how can you get people to come to this place and leave with something that will make their life better or make them implement something new? So our full, our first idea was that people would come for Airbnb and we would have all these informative things around. There'd be like the Berkey water filters inside that we use with like a plaque, like showing why we use those things. And you know, they could walk around the land and there'd all be all these things about why and what, and the food we would serve would only be healthy food, but it would still be, it would give them an idea of like, oh, you can actually eat really tasty food. And the idea was that they would leave after two days or three days and feel much different versus like, I feel like most people, they go away and they kind of like, oh yeah, let's go rent a hotel and get pissed up for two days. And like, they they get they usually leave feeling worse than when they got there they're excited to get there they do all these things and when they leave they feel like shit going back to work whereas like we were hoping people would leave inspired and feel healthy and like ready to take on another week or to to do the thing they really want to do instead of the alcohol bringing them down and saying oh fuck i'll just go back to my shitty job they'll go oh shit i actually feel really good leaving this place i wonder if i can like take something else on and and do that so that was the initial plan was to kind of like take everything from our lives not just food but like our whole mindset concept and how you need to feel to create something great and try and give that to people um by coming to to what we were creating i love that phil mm-hmm. yeah cool i think that's awesome 
Thank you for listening to part one of this interview with Shelby Friesen on Searching for Truth with a Renegade Mind. Be sure to listen to next week's episode as we wrap up our conversation with Shelby, talking about how he grounded the vision that he created, how he's built courses and conducted workshops, the Ajin Sanctuary, and much more interesting topics. 